When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. So now I'm a million miles away from home. I have this trauma. I I don't fit in with anyone. Welcome to Knocking Doors Down. Jason Lachance here. Mikey Naraki, what's going on, good sir? What is going on, people? Of course, I've got a background in addiction with alcoholism, some childhood trauma, and other abuse throughout uh, my life. Uh, I've been through divorce, and I'm one of those examples of uh, knocking doors down, getting on the other side. So we're here to inspire you and uh, motivate you, and of course, all of our wonderful guests as well. Isn't that right, Mikey? That is correct. Well, today we've got an amazing lady for you. Her name is Amanda Webster. She literally was standing on the edge of a balcony in a hotel in Canada and about to take her life. And something transformative took place that motivated her, got her to change. Not only, uh, of course, is she a mom, and she was during her early phases of her addiction, but uh, she went through some sexual abuse and a lot of confusion. One of those people that feels like an outsider, which I hear a lot of other addicts that I have talked to have always felt like some sort of an outsider, that they didn't fit in but wanted connectivity. And her story, although it is her own, uh, there's a lot of parallels that I think anyone can relate to and um, anyone that's been through different kinds of traumas and how we cope. And she's a real example that you can make transformative change and uh, has even started her own fitness programs, inspiring other people, getting people on track and sharing her story of addiction as well. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's incredible. So we got that coming for you here in just a second. Just a reminder that uh, if you're seeing some of the videos on our social media, be it uh, Knocking Doors Down on Instagram or Facebook, you'll see Mikey and I wearing 5150 apparel. Get your 5150 gear and drinks at a discounted price. That's right. You can get more details about that by going to 5150ltm.com. Get the apparel, get those energy drinks with the sale of the energy drinks uh, that benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. They are at a discounted price as 5150 has stopped the production of the energy drinks and all the proceeds from the energy drinks go directly to the Carlos Vieira Foundation and its three programs, the race to be drug free, the race for autism and the race to end the stigma. And for more on that, carlosvierafoundation.org. Knocking doors down, Mikey. We welcome the lovely Amanda Webster. How are you, dear? I am great. How are you guys? Living the dream. <laughs> Just, or as uh, we had this guest, Frank King, uh, he said, living the nightmare, baby, living the nightmare. But uh, With the way the world is right now, I understand that. <laughs> yeah, no shit, right? Uh, well, you know, the reason we're talking to you, Amanda, you're an amazing sign of uh, true transformation. You know, what really got us was that uh, you stayed in October of 2018. You stood on the ledge of a Canadian hotel room ready to end your life. But then the right song played, and Mikey and I have a gentleman bet we, yeah. on what band it was, and I said Linkin Park. I was thinking more of like maybe when I would, okay, I'm going to sit like Leonard Skinnerd maybe, because some of his songs would talk me off, but then you said, whose name did you mention? Mike Shinoda. Yeah, from Linkin Park, and I'm like, oh, well, no shit. Okay, so end it for us. Who was it? It was Linkin Park. Son of a- Fuck! <laughs> so crazy that you guessed that, but I, I feel like, you know, that, that 
that band really inspired a lot of people, especially yeah. struggling with things like like Chester, like the lead singer did. I sure, really think yeah. that their lyrics did help and motivate a lot of people. What song but was I it? I want to say I'm surprised that you guessed it, but I'm really not. Well, I worked in uh, rock radio for 20 years, so I better know this stuff. Plus, my daughter's <laughs> a huge fan. And I didn't, so it's okay that I got it wrong. Yeah, sure. What song was it? Did you want to guess song two? Uh... I'm, no, I'm thinking one step closer to the edge and I'm about to break. <laughs> that would have been a little ironic, right? It was actually breaking the habit. It oh, I love that song. It came on and it would have made sense for it to be um, one step closer, one more light. I actually yeah. uh, want to call my book One More Light because I feel like that message is so powerful for people that are feeling you know, hopeless and in that, in that state of mind. But it was breaking the habit. All right, Breaking nice. The habit. So before we get to what led you to the ledge in October of 2018, what was uh, Amanda like as a little girl? What was uh, what was growing up? What was childhood for you? I grew up in a small town in Missouri. Uh, I had two parents that very much loved each other. I had a couple of really close knit friends. I mean, I was that outcast kid, so I, I wasn't popular. I didn't. I wasn't really accepted by my peers, but I did have a couple of close uh, knit friends mm-hmm. and. I was a super active kid. I loved going outside and riding bikes and make-believing in the forest. And I mean, I did spend afternoons binge playing The Legend of Zelda, but for the most part, (laughs) I I was a very imaginative uh, child. I loved going out and just doing things. And that didn't really change. I can still definitely have my moments where I want to sit down and play a game for a couple hours. But for the most part, I really just love experiencing things. And that's been a theme um, through my life. But for me, I, I remember my dad, the thing we shared most was wrestling, professional wrestling. When I was young, yes. that was like the only thing that bonded me and my dad. I have no idea particularly why I got so into it. I just remember we were channel surfing one day and it happened to be on and my dad starts to watch it and I just started getting interested in it and became head over heels obsessed, just absolutely obsessed. Because that's my personality. I tend to jump both feet into things. I can't be like, oh, that's a kind of cool show. I'm like, I have to have it. <laughs> you know, like familiar. I have to then be completely obsessed. As a matter of fact, I have a prop uh, from Dexter from the actual set because I got so obsessed with that show <laughs> nice. that my friend ended up giving me one of the props. He uh, but. Uh, one of the props off an auction that they did. Me and my mom, we just like to go on on drives a lot. She liked to just go out and talk and we'd have long conversations. So that's where my craving for that, I really like to to connect with people because I, that's that's how I grew up. I grew up, you know, just being open and, and talking to people about your feelings or about your struggles. And it didn't hit to my teen years that that wasn't quote unquote normal. Like that's sure. not something people do. They're not supposed to share those feelings. They're not supposed to share those thoughts. I didn't know that. I grew up thinking everybody did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of uh, rough for me. But but by the time I hit 13, I, my, my obsession turned to NSYNC. So I was absolutely <laughs> like, so obsessed with NSYNC that literally my parents had to lay down a rule that I had to leave six inches around the light on my ceiling, of, of, like poster free, because my walls were completely wallpapered. My ceiling was wallpapered. I had an insane blanket, insane pillows. Like, it was it was ridiculous. Looking okay. back, I'm just like, Jesus, how did my parents deal with this? Okay, hang on, hang on. So we he got the Linkin Park. We both misguessed the song. So let's guess who your favorite InSync member was. I'm going to say it was JT. Okay. 
I don't even. Uh, so I win by default. I don't even. I don't even know the guy. The guys. I don't even know I, any I, names. I only, I only know him because my sister listened to him. That's All right. Yeah. Sure, my uh, sister. Uh, your sister, huh? All right. He can do. Yeah. The, it was. It was JT. Of course. It Nailed was JT it. Growing up. Nailed it. But the funny thing about it was, is this is kind of one of my lessons of adulthood. Was growing up like when I was a teenager. Justin Timberlake was the end-all be-all of my life. Sure. Favorite member of NSYNC. But then when I grew up and I started really learning more about life, I guess, and I, I started looking more at the characteristics of each member, Joey became my favorite, who was actually probably the least uh, popular of the band. Like, oh, nobody, for sure. Everybody kind of was picked on Joey. And he ended up becoming my favorite. I got to, I, I've met all of them, but I got to meet him and hang out with him for a while and... I realized that I want to be more like the Joey than the Justin. I want to be with a Joey and not a Justin. Nothing mm. against uh, Timberlake. But he just didn't grow up to be what I would have hoped for. <laughs> just leave it at that. But ironically, the, the incident in Canada, when I was in the hotel, I actually went to a Justin Timberlake concert. That's why I was in Quebec. Was oh, My dead. friend had got me tickets, stage bar tickets, to a Justin Timberlake concert in Quebec, Canada. And that's mm. why I was there. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, Amanda, at what point does things start to unfold then in life? And uh, obviously, I can relate very much. I... I tend to be, a, a, you know, two feet in, you know, I have my obsessions throughout uh, childhood, you know, Prince, Motley Crue, Kiss, uh, movies, whatever it is, and just full diving in. At what point did you then start to notice or did any sort of addictive habits uh, come into play? Because, you know, when you're talking about that connectivity and wanting to talk people, uh, talk with people and share, that was a thing that always made me feel so isolated. And then once I got into adulthood, the only way that I all of a sudden felt more comfortable or, you know, and when I started my radio career and all this and I'm meeting rock stars is well, I have a couple beers and then, you know, later on full blown due to various traumas and stuff. So where, where did it start for you? Well, it actually began when I moved to Arizona the first time when I was a teenager, I was 16 and I convinced my parents, I shit you not to move to Arizona from Missouri because of a guy I met in Disney World and knew for four freaking days. I convinced my parents to move us all cross country to Arizona. So we went moved to this little mountain town and obviously the guy and I didn't work out. We weren't even dating by the time my parents got there because they, I flew ahead and then my parents drove the U-Haul of all of our belongings. And by the time my parents arrived, I already was you know, done with this guy. We, we weren't going to work out. <laughs> You yeah. must be one hell of a salesman. Goodness <laughs> gracious. <laughs> yeah, I was... I can't I, convince yeah. my parents to turn on the AC when it's summer outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, part uh, of it was because my dad, uh, his health was starting to falter, and his doctor said, you know, if you move to Arizona where it's a drier climate, it might help your health and your breathing. What they didn't take into consideration was the elevation of the mountain. Right. Oh, yeah. So it actually ended up having a, a reverse effect, which that in of itself started a lot of guilt you know because i'm like my dad's health is failing because i wanted to move here and i feel selfish and i was a complete nobody i mean i'm in a school where i know nobody mm -hmm. and this was my junior year so it's right toward the end of high school where all the cliques have already been set and everything and our everybody already has their friends and so i was a million miles away from my friends this guy and i didn't work out the only people i really knew was my parents and i started to get more and more lonely i mean yeah. obviously I, I i didn't know you know what to do and 
I really was kind of desperate to fit in. Mm-hmm. And I met this guy who was giving me attention. And of course, I'm like, yay, somebody's you know giving me attention and validating me. And he ended up sexually assaulting me. Oh, shit. So now I'm a million miles away from home. I have this trauma. I, had to, I don't fit in with anyone. And uh, I, I ended up several months later trying to date another guy. Uh, it took me a while to be able to trust him. But then out of nowhere, he just ended the relationship. And it, it really screwed me up because this is the guy that I, I gave my virginity to. Um, and it took a long time for me to be able to um, trust him enough to sure, do that yeah. and uh, after the sexual assault. And this was the point where I just started hating everyone. I hated everyone, myself included. I didn't have any clue how to handle this trauma, especially alone without my friends. I didn't want to tell my parents because my dad murdered the guy. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't want to talk badly about the boyfriend that I that uh, I broke up with because he was a really good person. We just didn't out, mm-hmm. and I to this day couldn't really tell you why. But I I still just wanted to find in Lincoln Park terms somewhere I belong. Yeah. And I remember the first time I heard that song, I was actually high as a freaking kite. Mm. And I started sobbing because that's all I wanted. And to this day, there's sometimes where that song will kind of still get to me if I'm having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's all I was really want is to find a place to belong, be it with family, friends, whatever. But I, I kind of fell into the wrong circles. And I didn't have any healthy coping mechanisms other than, than Lincoln Park. I was introduced to them when I was about 16. And I didn't have any other healthy coping mechanisms. So pretty much anything anyone offered me sounded like a great idea other than meth. I was good enough to not do that. But weed, alcohol, cigarettes, coke, like I just started kind of dabbling pills. Mm. And that would, it, it would it help the pain in the moment. I mean, mm. it would it would numb you out for a while or it would, it would help deescalate the emotions in the moment, but it didn't really do anything in the long run, obviously. Yeah. And when my dad passed away in 05, I ended up, um, we moved to Ohio and things didn't go well. My mom's family uh, lived there and things didn't really go well with her family. So we ended up moving a couple of years later to California randomly and my mom passed away. So in two years, I lost both my parents. I've oh, never dealt yeah. with the trauma of the sexual assaults, lost both my parents. And I'm in another city where I know absolutely fucking nobody. Jeez. So I ended up turning, that's when I really started turning to coke. Cause I'd done it a few times uh, when people offered it to me, but I'd never uh, really particularly committed to it, I guess. I know it's a terrible yeah. way of saying it, but I never got into it too hard. But when my mom died, I needed something. I had no idea what to do. I was alone. I had no money. I had nothing. And I did have a friend who ended up moving out um, to California to kind of support and be with me. And several years later, he ended up being my son's father. Like We ended up having a child together. But for all intent and purpose, I was alone. And that relationship went really emotionally abusive really fast. And that just perpetuates more addiction. I, I uh, I got an offer to have college paid for, um, and I, I started going to college, but between the emotionally abusive relationship and the stress of college, on top of all this trauma that's stacking up that I've never dealt with, I never, I just kept trying to numb it out to get, to make it go away, so I never really dealt with any of it, uh, I just kind of kept falling deeper and deeper 
into this hole. Well, when I got pregnant with my son, obviously I couldn't keep uh, doing drugs and I, I did get clean for a bit. I got clean for a couple of years and obviously the son or his father and I did not work out. And I, I ended up getting with another guy and I wasn't in a healthy place in my mind. This relationship wasn't healthy either. And things really ironically fell apart for me when Chester Bennington took his life because I had relied on that music so heavily sure, to get yeah. me through. Yeah. It was the music and it was the drugs. And that's all I had. Like Lincoln Park was literally the only healthy coping mechanism I think I had right. from 16 up until he passed. I was 33 when he passed. So for, for almost half my life, pretty much, I, I relied on this music to get me through. And when he, when he uh, committed suicide, back in 2017, that was my breaking point. And I spiraled completely out of control because it's like my my security blanket wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I spiraled absolutely completely out of control and started using again. And I started self-harming again. And it, it, it took me, actually it took me meeting Mike Shinoda uh, two years ago this month to inspire me to really get my shit together, to really, stop this behavior and find it in myself to get clean like that was my driving force and it was it was largely because i i've been doing charity work and stuff uh, in the time after chester passed away and hashtagging oh make chester proud because that was the big thing yeah and i'm sitting there going you fucking hypocrite so, like when i met mike my, my brain just goes you fucking hypocrite you're sitting there telling people that they should be honoring this man and you're making the same decisions that led him to where he was. You yeah. know, you're, you're making the same mistakes that, that took his life and there's there's really no happy ending here. Yeah, no, it, and it's it's so interesting how art and music, because I know like for me, Prince was a thing that made me not feel like a weirdo. Uh, even though people called me weird and then they started to listen to it and they're like oh wow this is amazing shit um but <laughs> you know so like we get it for you uh so how did it come about that you even uh met mike shinoda what was the situation here and and it's really cool that that didn't then inspire you to get that wake up call that slap to the forehead of you know being yeah, a hypocrite. and it's interesting that it was that and not you know my child or my friends or yeah. anything else it was it was it's always different for people and people don't realize that. But so I ended up seeing on his, on his social media that he was doing a album release launch party for his, his album post traumatic, which he wrote in the light of Chester's passing. And the first hundred people in line uh, would get to meet him. The first hundred people to purchase the album would get to meet him. And I remember calling my significant other. I said, I don't give a shit if I can't pay the rent. I'm going to be in California. I'm going to be one of the first hundred people in line if I have to, you know, stay those three days in advance. So I ended up flying to California and sitting on a sidewalk for 24 freaking hours, coming down off cocaine, mind you, because I, I had used like right before I left. Oh, so when I fun. get there and I, I get set up, I'm starting to come down. So oh I'm coming God. down this, this whole time off of drugs and I'm sitting on the sidewalk and I, I obviously, I think I was, I was one of the first 20 people. I don't remember exactly what number I was, but I was one of the first 20 people. I camped out there to be able to meet him. And it was, it was really strange because for me, it almost felt like, like in the movies where they have that magical moment and there's the sparkles and the ethereal light around people. Cause when he hugs me, he listened to me and what I had to say and just hugged me. And I went, 
oh my God, and just had this kind of awakening. It was, it was really weird. I didn't expect that. I was just wanting to go and say thank you because I felt, you know, compelled since I never got to meet Chester and thank him for what their music had done for me. I really wanted to, you know, just look Mike in the eye and say thank you for everything that you did for me. I, I'd be dead if it wasn't for you. Um, yeah. And this is, this is, this is prior to even really getting clean and everything. Cause mind you, I, this is where I made my decision to get clean, but just having saved me so many times, even before that, and giving me, you know, strength. I remember the night that I was raped, I I came home and I turned on my album and I was laying in the shower, you know, the one thing they tell you not to do, but <sighs> I was laying in the shower and I remember listening to a song, Points of Authority, and it just, it was like, it was like a theme song to my yeah. life. And that's when I really started connecting to them. And ever since then, just, they kind of seem to be the, the theme song of my life. But yeah, sitting on a sidewalk for 24 hours and <laughs> cocaine is how I met Mike Shinoda. <laughs> you are definitely all in, that is for sure. I've been on the sidewalk coming off of cocaine, but I don't have any cool stories like that. <laughs> so. You didn't meet any cool rock stars as a result of it? I uh, lived in Hollywood and, you know, I met a lot of good people, but not not that, no, you've that's awesome uh, for you though that's yeah um, i mean i've got a lot of great stories in 20 years of radio of drinking and meeting rock stars you know so people always like gosh it must have been miserable i'm like no i had a lot of fucking fun when i was drinking it just eventually became where i isolated myself yeah. and it was misery sure yeah, yeah. that's and, the thing is you start to use it as a vice to cope with the trauma and the anxiety and everything yeah. but then it starts becoming a source of anxiety and trauma by the time it becomes a source of all these things you're kind of in too deep and it's it's very hard to to find a way out of that but the ironic thing is the last time i smoked marijuana was with uh, bam margera in 2007 <laughs> really? i got really stoned off my ass bam margera <laughs> see i ran into him i ran into him in <laughs> yeah. hollywood a couple times <laughs> yeah so, i yeah. spent the night at his house i actually spent the night at his house and i remember being stoned as shit sitting on his couch going oh my effing god i got sucked into the tv and i don't know how to get out because i watched the, <laughs> the band yeah oh yeah sitting, i love like, that in show. the living room where where i that i'd seen on tv and i'm, I'm tripping out going oh my god i got sucked into the tv and i don't know how to get oh, out oh in but, the same living room that's so sick i was obsessed with viva la band we actually had brandon novak on as a guest and um, i ended up <laughs> i got in trouble because of brandon novak because <laughs> I was dating a guy at the time that I that I went to this event up in New York City uh, where I met Bam. Right. And I got invited up into the VIP area with Bam and his friends. And I ended up making out with Brandon Novak. <laughs> Pictures of it got leaked online. Oh, and shit. my boyfriend saw it because I guess he knew I was going to the event, obviously. So I guess he was watching updates on the event and saw that I was making out with Brandon Novak and started sending me all these bitches. <laughs> you didn't get a pass i mean he's famous you gotta get a pass I, for, I, for a famous I, person yeah. like, come on we're having drinks in a club it's not like i slept with them yeah like, right i mean it's so it's okay you know boy that is that is some some definite user addict bullshit right there it's fine it's okay you know that sounds very familiar <laughs> i've uh, i've does. been there it's not a big deal. You're overreacting. Yeah. It's one of your best no friends. Fact. What do you care? You know, I've, I've, oh, believe me. Yeah. All of it's while using. So let's go then to October, 2018. You're on the ledge of the hotel in Canada. Lincoln Park comes on. It motivates you to get off the ledge. What did you do immediately following that? I think the only thing that 
really motivated me to get off the ledge was morbid curiosity because I thought I was hallucinating. I really thought that this was like my life flashing before me and I thought this can't be fucking happening. Like I'm in a right. French speaking province right now in the middle of Canada. There's no way the song is coming on right now <laughs> outside <laughs> my door. And I, I got down and walked over to the door and kind of poked my head out. And sure enough, there's a clinging crew of a couple guys and I had been there for several days. I had seen hide in our hair with anyone the entire time I'd been there. Nobody, nothing. And there's these two guys and they're speaking French with each other. And I had like a very brief French interaction because I, I, I looked crazy. I looked like your typical racket, <laughs> like I'm disheveled and, and a complete mess, makeup all over my face, I'm sure. And they're looking at me like, oh my God, crazy ass chick. So I just said in French, you know, this is my favorite song and had a, a brief interaction with them. I went back inside my room and just fell apart. I literally just yeah. fell to the floor and just fell apart. And I actually think that that was what I needed all along. I think I needed not to be told by professionals that I needed medication, not to be told, you know, what I needed to do. I needed to grieve the loss of my innocence, the loss of my parents, the loss of all these things uh, throughout time, my time, even I, the loss of time that I, that I had, you know, through all these addictions and stuff. I just needed to fall apart. And I did. I just lost my shit on the hotel room floor right there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of us uh, eventually, and it's different for everyone, what that, that low point is, that point that, uh, you know, turns everything around. Now, you've had, yeah. your, you've had this breakdown point, obviously, foreign country, got to get home. What was the next step for you? Because, you, you know, you started just lining up so many different things that uh, mattered for you to head in a positive journey. Well, the first thing I did was went to my mental health professional and said, look, this is what happened, but I'm going to get better. I'm going to be happy because I'm being, I'm tired of being told that I can't do better, that I can't be better. And what does she do? Tell me, well, that's not really possible because you have this diagnosis and, you know, our big priority is to keep you safe and to keep you from self-harming and blah, blah, blah. That was actually my driving point because I wasn't sure up until then what I was going to do. And it was just this feeling in me that was, okay, I really, I want to be happy. Yeah. But at that point, that was where I knew I'm going to fucking be happy because yeah. I'm going to prove you wrong or I'm going to die trying. And I walked out of there. It, it, it really felt like the Elle Woods bunny in a costume moment where <laughs> Warner told her she wasn't, she wasn't smart enough for law school. That yeah. was my moment where I just absolutely snapped and I walked out of there and started making my lists and started really self-reflecting and thinking, what can I do to really heal myself? Yeah. Because that's the problem I'd had all along is I kept looking at all these different things that I could do, like medication, counselors and therapists. And well, those can be really great things for a lot of people. And I did get, you know, some good things from, from therapy. I don't think I really realized how much of this I was doing to myself. Yeah. Did I have a mental health issue? Yeah, I, I've always struggled with anxiety. I've always struggled with emotions. But while the genetics of this, you know, loaded the gun, I was the one pulling the trigger. I was the one making all these terrible life decisions that weren't feeding my brain, that weren't helping me be the best uh, possible version of myself. So when I really, at this point, I, I've been several months uh, recovered from cocaine and harm so that wasn't a problem but then it was okay why did that exist in the first place mm -hmm. this addiction existed for a very specific reason there was a lot of of reasons that i turned to this so then it became 
what can I do to provide myself with the thing that the drugs were giving me? You know, how can I provide myself with that comfort? How can I provide myself with this, um, with this coping mechanism? So it's a matter of a bringing my, my body and my brain to its highest level so that I had, I guess, the strength to fight, but then figuring out what can I do when shit does get serious again, because yeah. it will, that's life. The things yeah. are going to happen. You're going to lose people. You're going to have traumatic events. There's going to be global pandemics outside the window. <laughs> the whole world's going to go crazy and start rioting like purge or something. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, fuck. I realized during this time I'm sitting here going, if I haven't relapsed in this whole psychotic mess of 2020, I think I'm going to be fine. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think so. Oh shit. That's awesome. So at what point then does, do you start on your, your health and fitness journey? Cause you're doing amazing work and I want to let people know here, uh, you know, check Amanda out. It's amandawebsterhealth.com. And of course also on Instagram. Um, and if you follow us, you can, you can see her there as one of the pages we follow. But, uh, you know, you, you really turned your life into a different corner, you know, becoming a, one, a, a yogi, quote unquote yogi, and actually talking, we have a mutual hero, uh, you've had much more interaction with them, but uh, Diamond Dallas Page, uh, DDP Yoga, and, and so when did you start getting these kind of things, these transformative things, bringing them on board through the process? Because you do highlight that when we did our research is that, you know, you realize medication wasn't going to work for you. You kind of saw it more as a numbing tool than than a than a, a tool to actually build that happiness and experience joy. It wasn't even a numbing tool. That's the crappiest thing about medication, because if it would have numbed me out, super fantastic. That would have been great if it would have shut off all my problems. Yeah. But for me, medication actually made things worse. At, at, at best, I still felt the feelings inside, but I couldn't, I couldn't in any way, shape or form, get them out. Like mm. I just couldn't cry. I couldn't really express them in any way. Mm. Worst case scenario, I'd hallucinate or I'd have full blown panic attacks and I couldn't breathe and I'd think I was dying. And when I'd say something to my mental health professionals, it would be, oh, well, you just need to give it some time. Are you fucking kidding me? You want <laughs> me to hallucinate on the floor for two weeks? Yeah. So uh, that was, the po- I-, I knew medication wasn't gonna work for me. And to answer your question, I had already been introduced to a lot of these things. Like I knew Dallas and I've been involved in DDP yoga before mm. this, this kind of awakening. Uh, I, I, I'd done my own yoga teacher training, quite a bit of yoga teacher training before this. And I actually majored in uh, as a mind body wellness coach with a specialty in holistic nutrition. The biggest problem for me was, is that I would go all in the yoga and I do yoga for like three months every day, or then I go all in the nutrition and I, you know, try to eat healthier, which I really wasn't. I was totally lying to myself, just to be, just to be <laughs> honest here. It's like, oh, this, this cupcake is vegan and gluten free and organic, so it must be healthy. That's right. the kind of healthy I had going on at the time. But I, I, I would, I'd go all into one thing and then realize, well, this isn't fixing my problem, so I quit doing it. Mm. And it was almost immediate, actually, after the whole Elle Woods bunny costume and therapist office, I realized it was time to get back to basics. I realized that there was a lot of, you know, physical changes that, that could physical benefits from changing my lifestyle and my nutrition regime and everything that that could offer a lot of mental health benefits uh, just from my education. So it was okay. How, like I said, do I give, my brain the best chance. So it, I, I started structuring kind of uh, the lifestyle I wanted to have. 
saying, okay, well, obviously I need to be eating healthier because what I'm doing now was not doing my brain any good whatsoever. I was eating a lot of sugar, drinking a lot of alcohol, and not even to the point of having an alcohol problem, just drinking enough that it definitely wasn't helping with depression, anxiety. Yeah. Um, I, I, I ate a lot of heavily processed foods and stuff, and I wasn't getting the nutrients that my brain and body needed to function at, at full capacity. So that was kind of my first step was was going back and saying, okay, I need to restructure that. And then adding more physical activity and stuff to my life. I actually, as, as we were talking about me having that jump in with both feet uh, personality, I actually took a whole bunch of challenges right up front. Like, okay, I'm going to do this 30-day yoga challenge, this 30-day <laughs> challenge, this 30-day app challenge. And I remember talking to Dallas uh, during this time. And one of the things that was really powerful that he told me was, you got yourself into this mess and it's on you to get it yourself out. And I yeah. needed to hear that. And mm -hmm. the reason I connect so much with Alice is because like I said, me and my dad grew up watching wrestling and that was exactly what my dad would have effing told me is, well, you know what? You made your bed fucking get out and fix it. <laughs> like, yeah. Change it. Yeah. And it was, it was such a powerful bit of advice. And I don't even think I ever really told him that it, it inspired me so much during this time, but that was that was what I, I really needed to hear to start moving forward. But I, I told him, um, I told him about these challenges, and he's like, you, you can't do an abs challenge, like a 30 minute ab challenge every single day and while you're trying to, you know, just get your shit together. And um, so I, I backed off a little bit and, and was a little more reasonable about it. And I, I stuck with the, the 30 day yoga challenge, but it was more of, okay, I'm going to do at least 10 minutes every day instead of, I'm going to do an hour of yoga every freaking day. And I, I was just more reasonable. And I, I just uh, did, started those, those habits up front, started um, incorporating those good habits up front that would have the most impact so that I'd see the change. I mean, if you, there's a lot of things you can do. I actually am about to launch an entire program that walks people from where I was at rock bottom to living a happy and uh, fulfilled life because there's so many people that are either depressed and rock bottom yeah. like I was or that are just complacent and, and really have no passion for life. Or there's a couple aspects of their life that just really make them unhappy. And I'm calling it happiness boost because I think everyone needs that. I think everyone can be higher on their own personal happiness spectrum. But there's a lot of little things that yeah. you can add. There's a lot of little habits that you can add. But for mm. me, it was figuring out which ones are going to have the most impact up front so I don't just give up. Yeah. Well, and I, I've noticed for me as I continue to go through a lot of transformation and bringing on any sort of new little thing, like I was uh, joking with Mike this morning, hey, uh, made my bed again. You know, and it's uh, uh, for me, it was I was, um, you know, my background with having my father was an addict and, um, you know, he's been near 20 years sober. But growing up around that and I developed just I went from an OCD teenager to just a sloppy adult. And so it's just for me, it, it's such little things like people lately like. Hey, are you dating someone? You're always posting videos on social media of all these meals you're cooking. It's like, no, I want my kids and I to eat better. I need to yeah. eat better. That was a thing that I always ignored. So it's it's really great that you point that out is that people just like, oh, I, I, I'm getting sober and life is going to be joyous. No, actually, you're going to hit another low and it's going to be really fucking oh, yeah. hard. You're going to feel a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. You're going to have to do, if you're part of a 12-step program, you know, your amends and, and go through the process. But when you get on the other side, life is actually going to start to feel really fucking good. 
And the best part, you're going to like yourself. Yes, that's important. I hated myself. I I just absolutely detested myself uh, in the the times coming after this. I remember I had two breaking points after after deciding to to quit using. My one was about a little over two weeks, like a few days after the two-week point of quitting cocaine where I just absolutely freaked out, like lost my shit. I was like, oh my God, I need this. And I, I had no idea what to do. And I got very angry and I, I got angry and depressed at the same time. So I was just hot. Like, <laughs> and I'm really happy that I didn't have my son during those couple of days. He was at his dad's uh, during that time. So really happy I didn't have my son because I just became frankly a bitch. I, <laughs> I couldn't function. I couldn't think. My mind was really uh, just racing all the time. I, I felt sick. Uh, and then, of course, the other breaking point. So uh, June of 2018 is when I got uh, clean when I decided to, to get off cocaine and, and stop self-harming and stuff. And then October of 2018, obviously, was my other break where there's actually a lot of shit that happened at that point yeah. um, where I've just been going through a lot. I had a lot of very big life situations happen right at this time. And I just got back from Haiti uh, for some charity work I'd been doing. And everybody thought I was so happy. This is the thing is nobody would have saw it coming. And that's what I hear the most is when my, when I decided to start telling the stories, every single one of my friends or acquaintances that listened to it said, we had no idea. Like you just met Daniel Ratcliffe a couple days ago before, um, before this Canada incident, like you were so happy and you were doing this charity work and going to Haiti and you're always posting pictures of you and your son. And I said, yeah, but d- depression or addiction for that matter doesn't have a face. It's not like yeah. you have to look a certain way to have a drug addiction or to have a mental illness. There's, there's, it affects everyone, you know, it can affect anyone. Yeah. And yeah, that was, that was an eye for a lot of people I knew because I, I, I do think that society, you know, especially with Hollywood and stuff says, this is what a drug addict looks like. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is what a junkie looks like. Yep. And they, they have created this whole caricature about it and it's, it's not. Real well, at all. well, and I don't know about you. I know for me, I played the chameleon so well, depending on who I was okay. with. Because, yeah. you know, one thing with addicts is we're so fucking resourceful and we really pay more attention than people think we do. And so we know what to say, what not to say, because we've already learned to lie to ourselves. So we oh, learn yeah, how to do it. Everybody else, no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember going up to my folks, having a smile on. No, I'm fine, and you know, it's uh, no, far from it, far from it. But you don't want other people to be involved because then they're going to judge you. And I feel like that's the biggest problem with addiction, mental health. Is in the few people that I did try to talk to, it went one of two ways. Like I had very few people that knew about the problems that I had, but I had one friend who was like, oh yeah, like that's cool, that's fine, no big deal, you're just doing coke, Let's, of course you are, you know, like it was normal. <laughs> and then I had, you oh, know, people shit. that, my, my partner was just, well, you need to stop, and it wasn't even concern, it was just anger, like right. it, it made him upset, so then it, it becomes about them and not about me, right. so obviously that's not a safe person to talk to. So then I just shut off, you know, after that, and couldn't really and couldn't really go to anyone and if i went to a mental health professional it was like well, you need to go to 12 step and you need to take medication and nothing against the, the 12 step programs i just knew that they weren't going to work for me i knew yeah. that wasn't the direction that i uh, that was going to be effective for me so that i i think that the best thing that anybody can do is really just keep having the conversations talk 
to people that understand, you know, talk to people that are either in your shoes, have been in your shoes that are going to understand you get in some kind of a support group, whether it be a 12 step or even a support group on Facebook. Like I have found a lot of value just in groups of like-minded people that are going through the same struggles because let's be real. We're not taught how to deal with this shit in school. We're not taught how to deal with it if we get an addiction and we're not taught how to deal with people, loved ones that have mental health issues or addiction. So in all fairness, looking back now, I mean, I, I was very resentful towards people that, you know, I tried to open up to that had such a bad reaction, but in retrospect now, they didn't know any better. They truthfully, genuinely, I don't think knew any better. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree that uh, even, you know, in going through the process with, say, for instance, my dad, when he was uh, getting sober and then came back into the home, we never had any sort of like group counseling for the family that made it clear to us that, hey, the dynamic's going to change. It was just expected, ah, you're back and here we go and this is how things roll. And it and, and now everything's gonna be fine and rainbows and sunshine. Yeah, and it's really, really fucking screwy because we really do have to highlight that, and you know, people uh, just have a better sense of of grace and uh, you know, open your ears and shut your mouth a little bit more. Yeah, I think the the education there just needs to be more education for people that are that have loved ones going through these situations, so they know how to support them. I think that that needs to be part of the recovery process is Mm. teaching the people close to those trying to, to go through recovery, how to handle them. Because I, I know my partner had taken it very personally when I had this break at the, at the two week point and I was yelling and I was screaming and I was being bitchy when two weeks is actually when most people will have that initial kind of breakdown of, Oh God, Oh shit. And everything's really coming out of your system and you're really, you know, getting this, this new pattern, this new life, this new routine in order, and your your body, your brain's sitting there going, no, no, I want, I want the drugs, I want this this chemical, I need it, and yeah, I think that that's probably the best thing that that could be done, just more education for other people. I mean, we have resources at this point. We have a fair amount of resources that we can turn to as far as um, getting getting through recovery and stuff, but. The other people don't, and that's hard on them. I mean, just being empathetic to that, that's very hard to watch somebody you love go through these things. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. So, Amanda, what's uh, life looking like? Of course, you know, your fitness journey. You also changed your diet. You mentioned your diet, so you went to a total uh, vegan diet, too, and that's really worked for you, right? I did. I've been vegetarian since 2005, I believe, and... When I went, when I first went vegetarian, I was I was a carnivore. I ate like, oh, these are French fries. They're vegetarian. That's right. <laughs> Same, exactly. The, yeah, the people that, that introduced me to vegetarianism was very much like, well, you're killing animals, and you don't want to kill animals, so just eat things that aren't animals. Not here's how to eat a healthy diet, or here's how to, you know eat healthy. It's, right. Well, eat whatever you have to eat to not kill the animals. Mm-hmm. And because that was my driving force at the time, like I didn't care what I ate. But when I went vegan actually a year ago um this month this month or next month it's been a year i went vegan and yeah it it helps a lot with brain fog it helps a lot with insomnia my skin started getting clearer Uh, it it, i I knew how to do it right this time you know i and it did help me a lot as as just another step of that healing journey and truthfully because like i said the reason i went vegetarian was more ethical 
I'd always had those excuses that we were talking about. I had that cognitive dissonance where I'm sitting there going, oh, well, it's just cheese. It's just the byproduct. But I was still supporting the same cruelty that I wanted to avoid in the first place. Like I avoided eating meat for, for this reason. You know, ethically, I felt better too. So just in my own personal uh, world, I felt better about myself because I didn't feel like I was being dishonest with myself. Well, that's the only reason why I became a vegetarian is because of sympathy for animals. That's it. Everyone's like, yeah. oh, well, you're doing it for health reasons or this. It's like, no, because I smoked cigarettes at the time. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I was actually, like, yeah, they're I smoked like, on and off when I first Yeah. Uh, they're like, why do you smoke cigarettes and you're a vegetarian? I'm like, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? And they're like, well, aren't you doing it for health? And I was like, no, I'm doing it because uh, I'm not trying to get people to stop killing animals that's always going to happen it's inevitable right. i'm just not going to support it that's it yeah. yeah you know what i mean yeah. so that was my way of looking that but the mother cow so amanda is a yeah. guy that uh, i have a, a french canadian background i'm going to just jump a segue on this one uh i have to know how learning french played into your health journey because i've always wanted to do it I, you know, my last name is La Chance. I've always wanted to, oh, plus de vie, hein, la chance, pa, pa, ta. La chance, hey. You know, I've always <laughs> wanted to, you know, be able to really like, you know, go in and wax poetic with other people I know that speak French, but I have to ask, how did that help on your, your journey? Mindfulness. It was just a very mindful practice because when, you, when I was speaking French or learning French or studying French or anything else, I wasn't thinking you know about my problems because you kind of have to slow down and you have to almost structure your thoughts and structure mm. your words and anything that brings about mindfulness is going to be positive for anxiety depression uh healing happiness whatever and there's the aspect that at the end of the day our brains are to grow like that's what our brains do they need to make those synaptic connections and language learning was something for me that i could utilize to do that and you get to learn about different cultures and so you're constantly growing and learning mm -hmm. so there's the aspect of okay well when you're trying to conjugate verbs in the l'imparfait you're sort of hell not gonna be thinking about your problems <laughs> at that point. so it was, it was kind of a, it was almost an escape it was a very healthy escape for me that can we sit here and do my Duolingo or I'm going to sit here and, and do this practice or I'm going to jump on a, a call and have a conversation with somebody in French. It was a, a very mindfulness practice for me, but then there was the aspect of getting to learn and getting to grow. And that yeah. was so powerful for me. And really it helped my self-esteem because I, you know, had been told all my life I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't X, Y, Z enough. And being able to teach myself a language from scratch and subsequently go to Haiti in an entire presentation about the menstrual cycle in a different language <laughs> really just made me feel very, don't ask, <laughs> made me feel very, you know, powerful That's and very badass. strong and very, very smart. It was just another, another step to say, screw you to all the haters and all the people that told me I couldn't. It was just another thing that I did to prove to myself, well, you can do whatever the hell you want. You can, you had Eric freaking Bischoff walking down the aisle at your wedding. Like you're doing whatever, right. you can do whatever you want in life. You well, can definitely choose whatever you want. And that really kind of ties into what's, what we're about with that knocking doors down. And, and all addicts, or, or at least that I've had a conversation with, tell me if this was you too, those negative voices just dance in your head for so long. And it's a thing that, a lot, that, that keeps you self-abusing from the abusive situations and traumas. Then when you start doing that and knocking doors down, kicking through, that it, your self-perception just completely starts to change altogether. Oh yeah, like I said, I hated myself. I absolutely hated everything about myself when I was in that, that dark place. And 
yeah, it absolutely was like that for me. I, I refer to her as my shadow, like my the dark side of yeah. myself. And there comes a point when you're in that state of mind. For example, when I was on the ledge, everybody assumes that suicide is such a selfish thing. If you've never been there, people say, well, you were just thinking about yourself. Actually, the last thought I had was I'm doing this for my son because he does not deserve a fuck up mom like me. That was the thought I had standing on that ledge ready to end my life. I was thinking that and I was thinking, God, I hope this doesn't hurt because I don't want to hurt anymore. That's all that I was thinking in that moment. I wasn't sitting there, you know, just just being selfish and ruminating. I was thinking my friends and family are going to be better off without me. Your mind gets hijacked. Yep. Mm-hmm. When you're in a state of depression or when you're in addiction, active addiction, your mind gets completely freaking hijacked by whatever you want to call it, darkness, shadow, dark passenger if you're a Dexter fan, I guess. <laughs> you, um, your, your mind gets hijacked by these thoughts and by these these ideas and you accept them as absolute truth because they're in your head you know you yeah. assume that you can trust your own thoughts your own mind but you can't yeah. you, you can't trust these thoughts and you have to get to a point where you can you can address them this is my one of my big suggestions that i make to people is when you start having thoughts like that address them under something else whether you call it your shadow whether you call it bob whether you call it brain address them by a different name don't accept them as your own because they're not they're they're you know just intrusive thoughts they don't have to be absolute truths they're usually not absolute truth they're just opinions they're just fleeting you know thoughts based on on different chemical reactions in the brain and when you can do that and you can separate yourself from these random thoughts that becomes super powerful. And that was one of the things I had to do was when I started getting this, well, you're a fuck up and you're not good enough and you should just die and you need the drugs or anything. It would just be like, well, Shadow, you know, thank you. I know that you're trying to protect me because at the end of the day, that darkness isn't there to hurt you. It's doing what it can to protect you. And all it knew was the drugs. All it knew was to say, you're fucking up. You're being a fuck up. You're being stupid. And I think that was its way of trying to say, maybe you should do better. Yeah. But I didn't see that, obviously, at the time. <laughs> All it was doing was hurting me because think about it. You can't bully someone into changing. You can't bully no. someone into into getting better. But we do that. We do that to our friends. We do that to ourselves. And then we wonder why we have all these <laughs> psychological issues arising. But yeah, once you can separate that and you can you can see those thoughts for what they are, just thoughts, that's when you really start to find your power. Yeah, no, that's an excellent suggestion. I never thought of kind of giving it a, a name or different title as I write to myself, but I've noticed I, I do it not in a first-person nature anymore, you know? So it's kind of yeah. as in leaving that in the past. Well, I got to ask a, a great question here because I went to film school. I'm a huge film nut. Is there a movie that, that made a big change for you, or what was that movie, better yet? Actually, yes, the movie Yes Man. Oh, yeah. you know, I love that movie. Huge I just impact on me. I love that movie so much. And it actually, this was before the whole uh, Dark Knight and I, I, I kicked back into addiction and everything. It was before that. It was when I hit 30. And I had that, you know, breakdown that we all have when we have certain, when we hit certain ages. Some people it's 30, some people it's 40, 60, whatever. For me, it was 30. And I had this absolute emotional meltdown. I was sitting there going, oh my God. I, haven't been living my life what am I doing I saw this movie and just went on this spree and I've known prior you know that I wanted to travel that I wanted to meet all these people that I wanted to do these things but I'm making excuses oh I don't have enough money or 
you know, I'm a mom and I can't really go do these things because I have a kid or I, I don't have enough time and all that was bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I made the time, I made the money, I worked it out with my kid. As a matter of fact, me and my son went on this 10 day trip across Arizona and up the California coast and had an amazing freaking time, like camping and hiking and doing all this stuff. I love uh, it. Yeah, and he was four or five at the time, but that movie really just made me realize how important, like we were saying, that growth and that learning and that when you try new things, you learn so much about yourself and you learn what you like and what you don't like. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was such a, a number one, it's Bradley Cooper. So <laughs> that, that candy. And I, I love Jim Carrey. I love a lot of Jim Carrey's work, but mm-hmm. the underlying message is just so awesome. But if you're saying no to life all the time, what the hell is the point? If you're yeah. drowning yourself out in, in alcohol or drugs or whatever the case is, if you're trying to numb yourself out, when you could make choices like to live a different life, I mean, if you hate your life that much, just walk away from every like the, the third, like the song and, and yes, man, the um, third eye blind song. Which you would like, step back you from can, that yeah. ledge, my friend. Edge, <laughs> my friend. Yeah. yeah, but you can, you can cut ties with all the lives you've been living in. You can decide at any given moment. Fuck this shit. I don't want this life anymore. I hate my job. I hate you know, my clothes and just redefine yourself. And that was a big part of what I had to do. I had to say, I hate all this and I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. So what's life look like for Amanda now? Obviously, you know, you clean, uh, which congratulations, keep it up. You know, um, I'll continue to email you. You email me anytime just to check on how I'm doing and maintaining. But, you know, obviously you have a great relationship with your son now. You mentioned Eric Bischoff. Of course, people, if, you, if you're like, why does that sound familiar? WCW, the Monday Night Wars, the NWO guy. I'm a huge fan. I tweet him all the time like, man, love that episode of 83 Weeks. Um, so what's life look like for you now? Because you've been been married, you know, got your, your son uh, and, you know, all the fitness stuff you're doing. So fill us in. It's been so exciting seeing things through a different lens because while back, you know, in 2015, I was having all these adventures and everybody looked at my Facebook, whatever, and said, oh, you're traveling here and there. My heart wasn't in it. And now, even while I'm in this pandemic and I'm quarantined and everything, now my heart is in the day-to-day life. And I can wake up and look at myself in the mirror and say, I love you. And that is much more important than what countries I get to go to. I mean, I still love to travel, but that is more powerful in what countries I get to go to. Absolutely. So right now I, I'm launching my happiness boost program. And like I said, that just walks people from either being rock bottom, being complacent, whatever, it's going to help them move higher on their own happiness spectrum. And I'm really excited about that because I got asked so much, well, what steps did you take to be happier, to be a happy person? And I really just got tired of answering. <laughs> so I structured, I structured an online course that, that's going to walk people through that. So between that, I finished my book, which talks about how Lincoln Park helped me, you know, how the lyrics and, and the music helped me through the dark times in my life, through that sexual assault, through losing my mom. And uh, that's that's definitely the the big project that I've taken on this year is finding an agent for that. And really just enjoying life with my son. We, we get to go geocaching. And right now we've been swimming a lot because it's already like 107 degrees outside. <laughs> but bottom line is I'm just enjoying life. I'm just enjoying day to day and enjoying myself. And 
finding the value in myself growing and whether that means you know leveling up in French that's one of my goals this year is to hit a C1 level which is the, the native proficiency level near native proficiency level um, I want to test into C1 level this year um, so really just just having adventures saying my own adventures whether it's in quarantine or whether I eventually get to go on a trip this year I'm kind of starting to fiend a little bit I know I'm going to Chicago in September to meet Tom Ellis from Lucifer. Nice. So if you hear about me in the news <laughs> getting arrested in Chicago, you'll know why. You're like, oh <laughs> shit, Mike, that was Amanda that was on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. Uh, you know, hey, we'll have to have a follow-up sometime. We do these uh, episodes called Open Doors where we just shoot the shit about whatever because it seems like you and I got some things in common. I'm more of a kind of a Star Wars geek kind of guy, but big on sci-fi and stuff like that. And uh, I dig it. Uh, Harry Potter for me. Yep. Oh, okay. I thought it dropped out. We need to talk about cheese a little bit more too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll right. answer any questions you have about cheese. I'll email you. I'll have your people call my people. Uh, <laughs> well, Amanda. The, the, thing gross, the thing that grossed my kid out the most that got him to not want to touch milk with a 20 foot pool is the amount of cow pus. Like, they actually did studies <laughs> and found out how much cow pus is in milk that doesn't get filtered out because of the machines they use to extract it. I'm like, <laughs> see if it helps. I do <laughs> almond you. milk. I do almond milk. I'll do yeah. cheese, but for milk, almonds I do almond don't milk. have nipples. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. How do you know? Did you just assume their gender? You can't assume almonds' genders, bro. What the hell's the matter with you? Well, and I quote Ben Stiller, you can milk anything with nipples. I got nipples. Can, you milk, can you milk me? Can you milk me? My you... cat has nipples. Okay, all right, we're getting off topic oh, We here. digress. <laughs> Amanda, if, if people want to follow you on social media, your website, can you fill them in on what it is? Yep, the website's amandawebsterhealth.com. And my Instagram is Amanda Webster Health. I actually just also launched a YouTube channel where you guys can watch the interview with Eric Bischoff, Diamond Dallas Page, and a lot of other celebrities that I've been interviewing about mental health and stuff. Just having open conversations, uh, uh, youtube.com slash Amanda Webster Health. And you can grab my free PDF on my website that has the top 10 nutrient uh, deficiencies that affect our mental health. So awesome. Oh, a nice. lot of people don't realize how prevalent the deficiencies are, but. Mm, yeah. Well, awesome. I'm going to go check it out today. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. But thank you very much for your time. We hope that we can speak with you again down the road. Amanda Webster, Absolutely. everyone. Knocking doors down. Real people, real stories, real life. Real discussions of life struggles, including addiction, relationships, finances, and more. But even more importantly, living with them, overcoming them, and conquering them. Celebrities, experts, and everyday people talk about how they were able to break through whatever life handed them by knocking doors down. New podcast episodes are available every Thursday. Subscribe now on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, or at kddmediacompany.com. Oh, Mikey Amanda Webster, what a cool lady. What a sweet, cool lady, even though I got the song and band incorrect, but whatever. <laughs> the worst of all was you said Leonard Skinner, his music. His music? Their music. You know what I mean. You guys know <laughs> but, what I'm uh, talking about. No, Amanda was cool. Not only uh, really transparent, just uh, a fun individual, and you can hear that getting on the other side in recovery can be fun because you start to enjoy and see life differently and hopefully for those that are listening and the feedback we've gotten is that you do hear that we try to get as much laughter and realism in these shows for you guys because really getting getting sober getting on the other side of a trauma 
a difficult challenge, your life really can get brighter and you can start to enjoy it more with a more clear head as long as you're willing to put in the work because life is hard, it is work, and that's just how it goes when you want happiness. It's a thing that you got to really be willing to fight for. Yeah, no, and like she was saying, you know, as far if you're just saying no, always turning things down, it's like, well, oh, how did she reference this? I wish you could step back from yes, that man. ledge, my friend. Yeah. Oh yeah, cut ties with all the lies that you, I had to sing it in yeah. my head to get the words. Cut ties with all the lies that you've been living, and it's like, yeah, you know what? I've always liked that song, but when you, she put it like that, it's like, I like that. I dig that. And it's true. Uh, if if you're someone that's uh, suffered from addiction or other trauma and you're masking it you know what i mentioned in the interview is we we lie to ourselves more than anybody else and part of it is we start to believe that lie so deeply that we just pass it off as a reality with everyone else and we kind of go into these we use it as a mechanism it's not that we're bad people or people that might compulsively lie that you know they they're really suffering from something and that inability to just really be raw and real because we're all so afraid of rejection and um, being ourselves and it's kind of to go to another song uh, audio slave song uh, be yourself it's all that you can do you know Mm -hmm. and that's another reason why you just be fucking nice to people you don't know what someone else is going through you know what I mean like even just holding the door open or saying hi to a random stranger that can make their day because you have no idea what's going on in their lives so yeah do your random act of kindness say hi to somebody hold the fucking door open it's true. And, you, you know, the funny thing is that if you are even in such a negative space, and there is a term for it, and I wish I knew what it was offhand, that say you wake up in the morning and your day just sucked and you had a tough day of work, and then you realize that your fridge is empty, so you got to go to the grocery store. And then it's when everybody else is going to the grocery store after work and you're stuck in trap. And all these things that can just, in our minds, be such a negative space that it's a proven fact that if you can do one random thing of kindness, it kind of starts to spread. As simple as if you're in a bad mood, and I work on this really hard, is smiling at someone and just saying hello. Yeah. And just, you know, walking by. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. Believe me, there's moments of me being a dick. Right, Mikey? (laughs) I mean, I don't see it. I think you're a sweet guy. But, yeah, none of us are perfect. And, you know, the other day I was at Subway. Go figure. I was in line at Subway. There's a sweet little old lady right behind me. I bought her lunch. Why? Just because. It's just a nice thing to do. Uh, And I even told him, don't tell her it was me. Just, you know, just, I mean, you could tell her it was me when I left, but just not right now. Just all about being nice. You know, just pass it forward. Keep it moving forward. You're sweet, man. Uh, You know, I try. And that's a true story. I'm not just making it up either. Don't let the the tattoos fool you. He's not that much of a dick. I'm a sweet guy. You are. Now you're a good person. That's why it's been an honor and a pleasure to uh, do this podcast with you. Likewise. Hey, guys, uh, please don't forget to follow us on social media by searching Knocking Doors Down. And, of course, if you're listening to the podcast, have yet to subscribe. We're available on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, and you can go to kddmediacompany.com. And all those outlets, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star rating, a review, spread the word, tell a friend, and uh, you know, suggest a guest. Respond and reply on the social media. Get involved. Let us know what we're doing that you like. We're open to suggestions. We read all the comments. We get direct messages, emails, everything. So we can't thank you guys enough. Anything else, Mikey? Yeah, you know what? There is one more. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday. All right. Keep knocking doors down. (laughs) 
The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content, establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.